Welcome to What Is Goat. I'm John Seven Napololo, joined as always by Jamie Fry. Yo, what up? <laughs> and we have a special guest today. You may know him as Labrador in terms of his singer-songwriting output, or you may know him as a writer and editor at Metro New York. Please welcome Pat King. Returning champ. <laughs> and today we are here to talk about the Smiths and Morrissey. Now, I know, Jamie, that you are a lifelong Smiths fan, or at least you you were a fan when we were younger, because one of my introductions to the Smiths was the fact that this guy, Jamie Fry, would go around recording people's voicemails in the voice of a Morrissey impression. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, I haven't thought about that in a while. I definitely went through um, a phase where I found Morrissey to be like a source of endless humor. I was around like early college I guess you get more depressed when you become more of like an adult. You know what I mean? You have like sort of like your teenage angst, which is like kind of like, you know, something like Smashing Pumpkins or Weezer is like the perfect like soundtrack for that. And then you get into like more college age depression. And that's when I really got into Wilco, for example, mm-hmm. and Big Star. And you're yeah. like sort of like a slightly more like adult version of of the, the complaint of the, the rock protagonist. And I didn't like the Smiths at all. My intro to them, I had a friend who loved the Smiths, who played them often, and I thought that Morrissey was just such a heelish, annoying presence. And then, when I became depressed in a more adult way, <laughs> I heard songs like, there are a few songs that, like like Asleep and Please, 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 Let Me Get What I Want, um, that I just found so resonant that I became obsessed with them. I think that I don't, I don't, I've never been a, a person who like listened to a whole Smith's record like prolifically. I don't think the records necessarily work that good in that way. I agree. But a I, few of these songs are monumental and you cannot deny that. And I still feel that way, even though like I would love to never hear Morrissey's name again. <laughs> the joke of Morrissey isn't funny anymore. To had, quote the Smiths, if you had to give. Like an elevator pitch, someone who's never heard the Smiths or Morrissey and doesn't know anything about them. What would your like elevator pitch on what this is be? See, that's complicated because mm-hmm. I think Morrissey has one of those voices where I totally get when people are just like, okay, this dude's not for me. Right. <laughs> like his voice, his voice is so specific, mm-hmm. so flamboyant and like indulgent in ways, but like, uh, you know, like your stereotypical, like old fashioned crooner, you know, in a lot of ways. And I, and I think putting that on top of, I guess like muscular jangle pop is kind of like what the Smiths are in a way. That sounds about right. Yeah. I think of them just in like layman's terms, like, Oh, they're a British rock band from the eighties. They're not really a rock band. They're really a pop act. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and to kind of go off what Jamie was saying, um, yeah. And totally a singles band. Mm -hmm. Like, like they, I think was Hand in Glove their first single? I think so. Like, I, I think, you know, my introduction to them was, I remember um, hearing a lot about them and knowing, like, How Soon Is Now, mm-hmm. but then just kind of, like, hearing, you know, punk rockers that I liked growing up, you know, constantly quoting Morrissey lyrics or, like, talking about how important they were. So, you know, I I drove to Borders Books with my brother and, uh, you know, 
went CD shopping. Like I usually did on like weekends because I was, you know, as a loser in high school <laughs> in a small town, you know, you do that, you know, that was like the thing you do. But um, I remember buying Louder Than Bombs and which is a singles mm-hmm. comp of theirs and, and just being like totally blown away and then having the same reaction, like going to their records, just kind of wanting the singles collection. Yeah. Louder than bombs is a good argument for them to be a great band. And then the records tend to indulge a little, like they drag a little Yeah, because it is kind of a draggy music. I mean, it is kind of like the bleakness of, working class England. Yeah. There's a foggy gray kind of quality. I mean, in the same way, the same affect that made black Sabbath interesting because they were kind of describing this bleak British existence, except they got into horror instead of yeats and, you know, (laughs) Oscar Wilde, they were getting more into horror movies and using rock and roll as a vehicle to sort of like, like describe and then escape a sort of bleak situation that that's sort of the overarching vibe. Mm-hmm. I would say of the Smith, mm-hmm. why it's so sad. Mm-hmm. Like Johnny Marr, inarguably a brilliant guitar player. If you were to take Morrissey's voice of all this, there would still be a lot of cool stuff that you could just focus on, on, on Marr cause Marr rules. But the idea that he wants to play this kind of like, dinky version of rock guitar that isn't <laughs> yeah, like yeah. powerful or anthemic yeah. or whatever is like more like when mick and keith do a bummery song like it's like maybe the the seed of him might be like as tears go by mm-hmm. by the stones or um play with fire mm-hmm. the or kind the of birds, like the birds totally. yeah totally yeah. yeah yeah absolutely that kind of like melancholic jangle um so the, i mean they are rock and roll in a way but it's almost like a decisive aesthetic move to not rock so hard, especially probably because they do arrive like kind of like right after punk is over and they were into punk. So it's like, let's take some elements of punk, but take the anything that would be considered like boorish or hyper masculine or aggressive, like the Buzzcocks rock, but Pete Shelley's protagonist is very like kind of like naked insecure anxious protagonist Mm -hmm. that part of punk where you're like being extremely vulnerable like uh like uh the modern lovers jonathan richmond protagonist like hospital but jonathan richmond something like that where you're like seeing a very bare protagonist communicate you know in a sort of base level to you that might be where they find their that's like their place in the annals of rock and roll. I I think a good place to start with them is especially, you know, going back to the elevator pitches, talking about the misconceptions around them. Like, what do you think are like misconceptions? Like as a Smiths fan, as a Morrissey fan, like what are misconceptions that you think people have like run away with, with like characterizing the Smiths? Well, that it's like music to slit your wrist through. Yeah, I mean, I th- as somebody who's not as well versed, I'm not a Smiths fan. I'm not, I don't dislike the Smiths, but it's not something I put on. That's it's that what you were describing, Jamie. In my mind, that like Morrissey as a punchline a little bit, the abstinence and the incredible depths of his depression and that hard on sleeve thing that. So often is what you love about rock music, but he takes it to such an extreme that it becomes a little comedic. 
Yeah, at moments. Like, I think that he really walks the line between, like, serious and sarcastic. Yeah. And he's very easy to misinterpret. Yes, right. fair. Also, I think the Smiths are more fun than people give them credit for. Yeah. They've got a lot of groove. Good. Well, this the, is the a rhythms... misconception of mine because I do not think of them as fun at they all. Have, I think they have their mo. I mean, like, you know, something like Panic or Ask is, like, pretty fun rock and roll yeah, with a pretty music. good groove. It's yeah. Up, yeah, it's very poppy. I mean, they've got hits. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and all their hits have a like almost like a Lennon McCartney quality where they're very completely good songs. Yeah. that are pleasing on on an intellectual level, but then also in a not intellectual level. Right, mm-hmm. right. You know, that's fair. You know, like a song like "Ask." You know, it's this whole song about like um like getting rid of your inhibitions, like your sexual inhibitions. Yeah. And, and just like, you know, fucking for the sake of fucking. But then like at the end, like there's a lyrical turn where he says, well, you know, if it's not love, then it's the bomb that's going to bring us together. You know, so right. like, it's impending doom. Fear of death. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> that's a good example because like that to me shows as a lyricist, it shows being romantic, subverting that idea, being political and then being dark humor yeah and and which that, is that's strong lyricism you know and he's one of the most economical lyricists ever like i i think you know that line in ask like he he says um just describing like the protagonist in that story he says you know spending warm summer days indoors writing writing verse to a buck tooth girl in luxembourg like it's just like the perfect picture of an indoor kid you know, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> like, someone who hates like, the sun. Yeah, yeah hates yeah. the sun. Would rather write to his pen pal. Yeah, like, I mean, it's perfect never for a say... goth. The Smiths are more like the sensitive side of punks. Yeah. Right. And in fact, I've met a lot of people who are really into hardcore playing hardcore bands. Guys who look like they'll fucking kick your ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They love the Smiths. Yeah, Morrissey totally. purposefully or by accident, he did a great job of really like finding a demographic. There was sort of like a group of people that were really underserved in a certain musical way. And he really hit the nail on the head for like that indoor kid, you know, and yeah. that person who needs someone to relate to them. He got it. The bookish I, I, rocker. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think one thing that he did that's so commendable, I mean, like watch a Chris Gethard stand up special and he'll talk about this, but like the kind of like as to where the cure are sad and kind of like this, like they are like music that conjures up the fog of depression, kind of like there's no, there's nothing funny about the cure, really. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, I think Morrissey talks about depression in a way that's like, it's like creating activism around being brave to talk about depression and, mm-hmm. and to kind of, you know, really paint a picture of most, a lot of people's lives at the time that really didn't have a voice for them. And I think, I think Morrissey is that punching bag for those people, like kind of going out there and kind of speaking that truth. Now, that's a good comparison, but like I only speak for myself, but thinking about this, I love The Cure and I don't love The Smiths. And I think one big difference is that The Cure rock a lot harder than The Smiths. (laughs) They're like unmistakably a rock band. And I think in terms of the lyricism, it's a it's a way of looking at love that we're much more used to. It's a classic way of looking at no different than maybe the way the Beatles did. And sure they present it very differently in maybe the way they dress and the sort of fluid nature of gender and sexuality, but like out of that context, they're just great rock songs, great love songs. Morrissey, the way Morrissey's lyrics relate to love is very unique to Morrissey and I think it's intertwined with exactly what you're talking about. 
The way he defines love is almost by the absence of love. The way he defines sex is by the absence of sex. Everything is unrequited. Yes, and it's a much more complex and maybe confusing way to look at these things. And good for him. He, you know, he cornered the market. He's got the thing he does. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But like to me, maybe I'm just more of a, you know, classic rocker at heart. Something like The Cure, for me, it scratches the same itch aesthetically as a lot of the Smith stuff does, but it's just like more fun, harder, heavier, more in your face, uh, a little more aggressive. And that's like really rewarding to me. I don't think that Robert Smith really tried to subvert the idea of love and popular song. Mm-hmm. I I mean, I probably like like The Cure more than The Smiths because of all the things that you said. The Smiths are something I can listen to sometimes. Mm-hmm. The Cure is something I can listen to often. Right. But Morrissey, it's funny now because like contemporary Morrissey, like he should disappear and not come back. <laughs> Oh, I, thought, would... I thought he died. <laughs> I thought... Wait, let's, let's, look at my, let's just look at my phone. You know, it's like I don't, I don't really know what like whatever happened with this person. I don't, I don't understand, but he's not, he's not the only person from the you know alternative or indie generation that it turned out to be conservative and mm-hmm. essentially lose the script of anything they were about. He's not the only person. He just happens to be a very popular, outspoken, and. I would say a pretty heinous figure. Now, old Morrissey, the Morrissey that wrote the lyrics that matter, and this music really matters. And if you think about the conversation like about sex, love, queerness, the Smiths introduced some concepts into the conversation in popular music that were pretty different. Like you were yeah. saying, like this is not this is not the usual mm-hmm. conversation. Even the idea of Morrissey being asexual. It's like now asexual is is part of the contemporary conversation about sexuality. Mm-hmm. Morrissey was alone. Mm-hmm. A popular singer saying they don't have sex with anyone was about as freaky as Marilyn Manson. Right. Or Bowie. Yeah. Or, in his yeah. Day. You're right. What these people all do is they sort of are able to acknowledge the sort of potential of a big mass of people that doesn't quite exist yet. Those same kids who may feel asexual or may feel myriad ways about their sexuality, but unify amongst how it feels um, confusing or how it's marginalized by society. Those kids all start out just being quiet and alone. Mm -hmm. And Morrissey opens the door and says, we can all be in the same way that Bowie, you know, it's not like Bowie just like dressed the way he dressed, talked about the things he talked about. And there were just, thousands of people just like him no it was a potential of people who didn't there was something they couldn't quite put their finger on they just knew they didn't fit here or there and then when they see that it's this opening it opens a door and then you see in the years to come like you're saying now when we have these conversations this is just something that Every but it's part of everyone's vocabulary yeah. now. There, there would be no like thrift store indie kids without the Smiths. Sure, you know, like they are like that's like the prototype, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think I think one thing that's that's so unique about Morrissey is like he can write a song like um, "Last Night I Dreamt Someone Loved Me," mm-hmm. and then he can like on on his like first solo record you know wrote a song like last of the international playboys where it's like fetishizing serial killers in like a really funny way like he he kind of like draws like dances on that line a bit like i i think like he he has like 
the most depressing lyrics and then hysterical lyrics. Yeah. Like after, I think we were talking about off mic, we were talking about Paul Weller a, a little bit. Like, I think he is kind of in that British lyricism conversation with Weller, um, Pete Townsend and Ray Davies, where it's, it's like, it's like painting a picture of everyday life mm-hmm. and, and just kind of like working class life mm-hmm. in, in, in Manchester and just kind of like, the depression of like going to, you know, like school and getting abused and, and, you know, just kind of like having no way out, like under that umbrella. And I think he, I think he does it in, in a really empathetic and sympathetic light in the Smiths, at least. I think what's so interesting about that aspect of his lyrics too, because as we said, the way he relates to love or sex is the absence of, and there's something similar in the way he talks about this sort of dreary, British life of a certain era, which is that he's a complete outsider and he's writing from that perspective, but his words are so vivid and descriptive that it also gives you a great um, picture of what it's like to be the insider in that uh, culture, to be what he is not. He is not what most people in that world are like. Most are very heteronormative. Um, you know, certainly not into the types of art he's into or having any of the types of sensibilities that Morrissey has. But because he's the opposition and he describes it so well, you understand exactly what the norm is as well. I don't think that Morrissey's solo career ever, like, it doesn't, like, do that much for me. Yeah. I think that... And there's some really good songs. I love The More You Ignore Me, which has Mick Ronson on guitar, which yeah. is awesome. And, like, every day is, like, Sunday is, like, yeah. a hit. And, like, he's got a few hits in there, but... He kind of got a bunch of people to imitate the Smiths. Right. And that was a really wrong thing to do. I think that I think that that's when he becomes a self-parody when he loses the Smiths. Because the Smiths is like kind of like as a concept really works. Even their name, the Smiths, four regular guys. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Which yeah, is yeah, not yeah. what the it guys. is. But it's sort of like that's like your oh, entry. Just the guys. It's like, <laughs> oh yeah, just four Smiths hanging out, you know. Yeah. The original approach was really the one that worked. Yeah. You know, and it's sort of got watered down a little bit. Yeah. You know? He never made a good celebrity. Right. You know, as we now can really conclude. There was um, a Vice article recently about Morrissey's like appearance on the Carson show. Did you read, no, read this? No. So so Morrissey, um, he went from the Smiths to like being like, oh well I'm gonna like really amp up the Elvis and like Rockabilly yeah. worship mm-hmm. like into this phase of my career. And like you watch the clips of him playing on it and it's funny because I think like Bill Cosby is the guest on the Carson show. But like, but like fans are like drowning out Carson's jokes and he's getting like physically like agitated and like, and like, like the fandom of Morrissey, like at that time, like was just totally peak. Well, that's one of the most interesting things. Like a lot of the stuff that I find interesting about Morrissey and the Smiths has no relation to me actually listening to them. (laughs) Like that aspect is really compelling. And the fact that there's like straight up sort of Comic-Con level conventions. He won Mexico. Yeah, of people (laughs) who come together and literally just get together to discuss their love of Morrissey. That is so incredible. Yeah. I first heard of the Smiths in any capacity in the teen novel, uh, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, which they made a movie of a few years ago. But there's a part in that, basically you have like a kid with no friends and then he meets these kids and he gets a mixtape and on the mixtape is Asleep by the Smiths. Yeah. And that becomes like a part of the story 
And that was the first time I ever heard of the Smiths. And I think that that's a good kind of context for like the type of uh, formative experience you might have discovering this music. Mm-hmm. You're going to be drawn in at a vulnerable age because a lot of people, I and mean, this is a band people get into when they're kids. Mm-hmm. And it really works in that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like probably the younger you are, the better this music sounds. And not not for me necessarily, but I think for for the Smiths super fans, when you you feel heard or seen or whatever, that's how people say now is like, and I think that this music has always had that effect on certain people and that's how they get drawn in the same way it's like you might be obsessed with like harry potter because that might do something for you or you know what i mean or like a certain a certain kind of touchstone Mm -hmm. where it's like you this is something arrives that really like helps you like sort of organize or contextualize your emotion to see Mm -hmm. yourself a certain way Mm -hmm. they're great rock because they do have that underdog quality that makes the music transcendent it's like you don't want to hear the winner you want to hear the loser in rock and roll you want to hear someone who's downtrodden Mm -hmm. And he put a really good spin on that to may- maybe be the most pathetic. It might have been Russell Heimwitz. Someone said, <laughs> punk is about being pathetic on stage and being vulnerable on stage. At the core of punk was like Iggy Pop, instead of being a confident fucking, you know, forward rock and roll singer, like lying on the floor, smearing peanut butter on himself, making himself pathetic. Or like Jonathan Richmond being like, oh, you know, like I'm not hippie Johnny. I'm not cool, you know. Yeah. Um, that's part of the thesis, and I mean, I, I think the Smiths is equatable with the the punk thesis of like the will, the willingness to, for art, debase yourself. Yeah, and and I think, um, yeah, and his, I think his vulnerability is that for him. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I feel like, you know, going up on stage, you know, kind of having like your your thrift store shirt unbuttoned all the way, and then like reading your diary entries is like yeah. the Smiths mm-hmm. kind of you know, 101. But think about what you just described, and it's completely accurate. But I I really believe that so much of rock history and what we can all agree upon as being these monumentally successful bands, I think 50% of it is talent and 50% of it is timing. Because I can completely imagine another world where the Smiths come out a few years later or the world in which they come out in is just a little different. And what you just described just does not fly. It just does not. People do not flock to it. It doesn't pull people in for whatever reason, because the timing was just right. And they are talented, obviously, but there's lots of talented artists and bands who never get their due or maybe get their due far later once they're dead, things like that. But this hit immediately. And I think it was kind of that perfect storm i think if you look at the sum of like the sum of all the parts of the smiths they have such such an amazing and unique rhythm section then you have johnny marr playing the guitar like no one had really heard up until that point you know it's it's so unique it's so him and then also you know someone who's really really kind of a voice for a subset of people like kind of like a forgotten group of people who have never had a voice for them and say what you will about Morrissey's voice. But I think the people that love it and, uh, you know, really think that he's like an incredible singer, myself included, you know, will kind of remember that first moment they heard his voice and were blown away by it. And so I, I think adding the stew together for the Smiths, 
I totally understand the cult around them. And like, and I totally see why people, even their looks, you know, model themselves after Morrissey and kind of like get tattoos of the lyrics. Like I totally get the cult, like crazy ravenous fandom around them. And you could arguing all those aspects say that they're a perfect band. Mm, Interesting. The voice thing is interesting for me because there are songs I like, but as you described, Jamie, it is not something I can listen to for very long. I can listen to a couple of Smith songs and enjoy it, and then I have to listen to something else. And it's strictly because of the timbre of (laughs) Morrissey's voice. It's just something about the tone, the frequency. It's just, I can't take it for too long. I I love these songs, but I basically agree with you. The more time you spend listening to them, the shine sort of disappears. That's why they're such a good singles band, because all their... All their singles, I would probably say they have 10 to 15 knockout singles Mm -hmm. that, in my mind, that makes you amazing. Mm -hmm. If you can do that, because, like, you know, I think we've had this conversation on the show before. It's like the Ronettes are one of the best groups of all time, and they could have recorded three or four songs, and they would absolutely stand on the top tier or the Shangri-Las. Like, sometimes it's like, sometimes the overview of a group could just really be in a few songs, and, and that's just... So important. And they have a lot of really good songs like that. But he does get at me. Mm-hmm. And even the sound of the band, too, can become dinky if you yeah. listen to it long enough. There's some bands you feel like, you know, you can listen to many hours of certain bands. But they're they're, they're pleasing, but not in the way that you want to listen to two hours yeah. of the Smiths. I could never listen to two hours of the Smiths. But here's what I'll say about and about this. I think... In the same level as someone like Bob Dylan or Leonard Cohen, these songs are amazing to cover and playing guitar. And yeah. I love to like, I almost like enjoy singing them more than I enjoy listening to them. <laughs> yeah. Cause they're, they're really, they're really like amazing songs to put in your own hand. They, they're like the best karaoke picks. Yeah. Like, like this charming <laughs> man. You cannot yeah. beat the Smiths. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I always find too, that you're right. I, I totally agree. And, and in my mind, even when there's a band I don't love, like the Smiths, I always have to keep the possibility in the back of my head that it's going to click in one day and I'm going to be super into it because there are tons of Smiths covers out there. And whenever I hear one, I'm like, Oh, this is really good. The songs are so sturdy that if my issue is something as specific as Morrissey's voice, when you eliminate that, the songs become great to me. And that there's a power in that too. I mean, there's also just something to be said for being a great songwriter. There's people who are great songwriters who are tone who can't sing, you know, and yeah. that exists too. But I, I, I want to go back to what you were saying too about um, the dinky nature, because I remember thinking the first time I heard the Smiths when I'm a teenager and I'm learning how to play guitar, and I hear these songs and I hear Johnny Marr. I remember thinking, this is the opposite of what I like about guitar. You know, it's not, there's nothing I liked aggressive guitar playing or even the Stones, a guitar line that is singable, that almost has a a, a lyrical quality to it. I liked something that was really gutsy. And when I heard Johnny Mars playing, I was like, this is the opposite of gutsy and aggressive. Are you a REM fan? No, same reason. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I could say all this exactly. <laughs> and but you know what? This is what maturity is because now I hear these songs and I'm like, oh, these guitar parts are really good. Yeah, yeah, right. You that that kind of juvenile aspect falls away. You're able to look a little deeper, and it doesn't have to be that surface level 
fucking horns in the air rock guitar that now I can hear it and go, no, no, these are these are rock licks. They're, these are licks. They're riffs. They they they're pretty cool. I hated the sound of the band in the beginning. I really because like a teenage guitar rock fan. They sounded like a toy to me. Right. It's very, just aesthetically, it's a very thin sound. Yeah, they're the epitome of that, like, 80s, like, kind of, like, in a tunnel, Mm -hmm. like, no uh, thick, low end. What we describe as twee, kind of, maybe that conversation starts with them and the television personalities. Yeah, totally. You know, in a way, it's like, we're going to strip the more butch elements of punk Mm -hmm. in... England especially, it's like you had the first generation of UK punk and then things really went in that kind of like um, the oi punk or whatever. Just like more aggressive, more uh, heteronormative, masculine kind of guy yelling at you. Yeah, there's, kind of there's no Slade in their DNA. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Right, the glam influence and the more songwriter kind of influence because I mean, the, the Clash and the Jam are very like 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 you said, they're following the, who and the who and the Kinks in terms of um, an expansive songwriting thing. And then you've got a lot of this bonehead stuff, and some of it was conservative, right. some of it was liberal, some of it was conservative. That's sort of like the second wave of British punk or whatever. So, so it would make are... it would make sense that you would make an aesthetic shift where like we're going to take away all the butch elements and make it sound kind of dinky on purpose because we don't want to, you know. We don't want to stand next to these guys. We want to create a new space. And then years later, you have something like Bell and Sebastian, which is like a career band on that concept. You know, it's kind of funny, though, because I I feel like the Smiths do have some really muscular like songs like like I think Mm -hmm. like Hand in Glove. Mm -hmm. Like that's like a that's a heavy riff. Like if you yeah. had if you had like I'm thinking more of like the top tier singles. Yeah, right, but you're right. right. Once because I didn't know a lot of this once once I dug in a little more to the albums, yeah. there's definitely moments that I heard that I'd never you know, you don't hear on the radio necessarily. Not you know, it's not this charming man or something. Yeah. But you're like right. I, I could hear like a hardcore band covering like Hand in Glove or like Handsome Devil or something yeah. just because it's so like intense. No, they have stuff that resembles more like regular punk. Yeah. What I wanna ask you, Jamie, because you were describing that like if you had to kind of list them out. You describing you have punk and then you strip all a lot of this stuff away. What are those elements, those aesthetics that are left in the Smiths, um, where you can point to and you say that's punk? That's where I hear a through line to the Clash or to something else. Well, I mean, Peachelli doing "Ever Fall in Love with Somebody You Haven't Fallen in Love with" or "I Just Want to Love Her Like Any Other." What do I get? Is putting yourself in a totally different, you know. just a different mode than like everybody's rocking tonight or something like that. And then the other thing about the Smiths is that like the Smiths, like, like in a lot of ways, Morrissey continues the Johnny rotten tradition of trolling the UK and the status quo of the UK or whatever, because I mean, you know, it's like choplifters of the world unite. The queen is dead. The headmaster's ritual. It's like, he's kind of like, you know, being a socio-political critic of the world which is a lot of punk rock and roll was built up into a fantasy mm-hmm. in the the queen pink floyd tommy mm-hmm. Prague, mm-hmm. fantastic elements big production more like in the like a science fiction film or an action film where you're you're captivated in a certain way and then this aesthetic is bringing it down to 
this is the real deal. We're gonna we're gonna speak to you. We're gonna speak to each other in a very humanistic way mm-hmm. about the realities of our life. So a song like the Clash is lost in the supermarket. I wasn't born so much as I fell out. No one seemed to notice me. There's that kind of like invitation into a more um, you could say bleak, but you could just say maybe just like on it, really honesty. Yeah, you know? and there's nothing between A and B. You know, you have, it's not, well, I'm creating a character and a concept and a metaphor and all this, and that can be cool, but there's also a power in Morrissey. I am singing, and I'm singing about me, which means I am singing about you, the listener, yeah. and it's just me and you talking about what we're going through, oh, man. period. I, I can't think of like a better like late night at the end of your rope dialogue kind of song then there's a light that will never go out mm-hmm. oh you know yeah I mean? like sure. or or even like i know it's over you know yeah. just that kind of like you know you know listener beware this is me and you talking to each other kind of thing you know and again in turn the songwriting is is great but then like to me i love uh the dum dum girls do a cover of there's a light that'll never go out and it's pretty close to the original but it's like, well, do I want to hear Morrissey or do I want to hear three-part harmony among these beautiful, angelic female voices? <laughs> that's what I'd rather hear, you know? Yeah. Like, the, the lyrics are great, the song's great, but, like, that's more pleasing to my ear than the Morrissey thing. I kind of yeah. love that. And, and, like, I'm totally, like, I totally understand your take on that. Like, I mean, I t- as I said before, like, I, I can totally understand if you don't like his voice. Like, that's it's probably the most probably the most divisive thing about the band in a way but i do appreciate like what you're saying it's kind of like brill building kind of song craft Mm -hmm. you know it's super tight there's no wasted lyric it's all just kind of so economical and like i think that's something that's so commendable about the smiths another thing to consider would you consider them a post-punk band or would you consider them a new wave band no, not really. New wave, band. yeah, right. New wave, new waves. The space of new wave was like kind of dwindling. I think by the time the Smiths right. actually like emerged. I mean, in a way, they share a lot with Joy Division and New right. Order. Let's have a band, but let's take away a lot of this shit yeah. that is sort of gunked up bands. But I feel like post punk has to have an element of something that is punishing, and the Smiths don't have that. Well, you don't like his voice. Well, I don't like, but that's unintentional. I, think, I don't think that's intentional. I, th- I think I think you said it is that he's he's punishing you, yeah, and yeah. you didn't even uh, realize. I, I don't know. Maybe I don't know. But but like if you look at the bass playing and the drumming, it's it's that's so, post punk. Yeah, so definitely. Yeah, I, I mean the Gang of Four and Mekon set was from Leeds, a, a very similar art school, really similar background to the Smiths. I think the Smiths from the get go were a little lighter than their peers. Mm-hmm. Like another characteristic you could add to at least punk in the early days, like seventies and eighties is this sense of like individualism. Like, yeah, like a band like X, you could describe them as like an all country band or something, mm. you know, but they were, they were in a punk scene and mm-hmm. like Minutemen were in a hardcore band, but they were on, you know, mm-hmm. SST, same yeah. SST. Yeah. So yeah, I think, I think kind of the trail they blazed was very punk mm-hmm. in a way because they, no one else sounded like them. And if there were, they were like imitator bands Yeah. or you could kind of draw the parallel between them and like early REM. I'm curious to see if you guys think there is this through line or not, but I think that inadvertently a couple generations deep, 
The Smiths are basically responsible for Britpop too. Yeah. Yes. And even Morrissey, yeah. his career kind of had a resurgence with um, I think I think it's called Valhall and I like with like the more you ignore me and like yeah um, yeah, but like yeah that kind of like Britpop production you know like yeah I mean Jarvis Cocker or someone like that is like I don't his band would sound really different if there was no Smiths that's for yeah, sure yeah right like, for real know, he yeah the because that is uh, Britpop is like has that snark like it all is a little snarky. It's all a little bit like, you know, kind of like that kind of British humor, dark humor, yeah, yeah. you know. But like Stone Roses, like that's like, you can draw yeah. that line. Oh, I was going to say, yes, yeah. I don't love the Smiths, but the Stone Roses are like one of my favorite bands of all time. <laughs> yeah. And it's and they're so similar in a lot of ways. Yeah. But it's just those couple of things that, whereas Johnny Marr's guitar playing can feel a little thin, Squire's guitar playing has the heft of like a Keith or a Hendrix, you know, it's big. And the vocals, I mean, like... Ian Brown, he he's actually kind of more of a talker, but it's an easier voice to ignore than Morrissey. You know, it's whereas, more obscure, it's, right? It's yeah. a little more yeah. it's low in the yeah. mix. It's 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 gentler. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love that. And then I think it's even funnier because the Stone Roses have a lot in common with the Smiths, a band that doesn't when you just compare them. But I still think is the logical next step is Oasis, right? Who are not, who again? It's ironic because especially in their earlier albums. Their popularity comes from the exact same thing, and they're describing a certain type of downtrodden everyman of the same location, except that they are they are that really heteronormative soccer hooligan yeah. mainstream person, whereas Morrissey is the other side. Right, of that. like <laughs> like the Oasis guys probably would have like bullied Morrissey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right, no, exactly. totally. And like, um, yeah. As someone who actually plays in an Oasis cover band. That's right. I was going to mention that. <laughs> um, like, the thing about Oasis is, like, they're, like, taking the jam, some stone roses, but then, like, not having any subtlety to their lyrics at all. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, yeah. yeah, it's like reading in a fourth grade level. Right. Like, Oasis, you know, it's like... <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, sometimes to... that makes for great rock and roll. Sometimes, uh, oh, bad, no. yeah. sometimes bad poetry is great rock and roll because you're not... And exactly the thing that would, you know, turn someone off from the Smiths is the idea that, like, I don't really understand that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. this is, like, a little, like, high-minded in a way that is, like, excluding me. It includes one person, excludes the other person. Like, everyone understands the way it's right. it's like all get what they're talking about. <laughs> it's you like, know? yeah, so that exclusionary thing is, like, it's like you're following a friend who's weeping into a party that Morrissey's, like, ushering him into and you're like you're like well i'm not sad and then it's like well yeah come 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 to this party you know come over here but like once you get into that party you're like well none of this relates to me <laughs> you know, like, why are these balloons half deflated you know? well, something you've mentioned plenty of times too regardless of what you want to say about maybe uh the smiths are more rewarding and they're certainly um more intelligent music but Oasis are a lot more fun. Yes, Oasis are. Yes, it's a good time. I it's think that's a, no a through brainer. line I've noticed with you guys. Yeah. You like fun. You like fun rock. You like fun music. <laughs> I think there's something to be said for that. I think we should do a, a, a Oasis. What is good? Uh, what's really good? What's the name of our podcast? <laughs> what is it called again? What are we doing? What is again? Oasis? What is uh, Oasis? I don't think the Smiths are not fun. I think they have moments that are fun, and like I, I just always like dark humor. Yeah. And like, you know, like a song I love, maybe this is an age of all, is like Girlfriend in a Coma. Yeah. 
I saw the video for this on like uh, 120 minutes or something when I was a kid. I was like, I cannot believe this song exists. And I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Because it's yeah. like, what an audacious topic. Uh, you know, do you really like a girlfriend in a coma? I know she's serious. And there was times where I could have murdered her, <laughs> but I would hate anything to happen to her. I was like, I was like, that is so ridiculous. But it's, di- you know, there's, there's something different about that. Yeah. But it's like, he has his, there's an audacity in the humorous songs that is very punk and, and is kind of like trolling on what you think a song is going to be about. Right. You know what I mean? What is going to happen in the narrative of the song that is pretty unique to him, I think. Yeah. No. And, and like, uh, the more you ignore me, like it's, yeah. it's like, it's like such like a, like a toxic song, but it's like this like kind of beautiful thing. Yeah. Right. You know? Yeah. He's not afraid of the dark negative emotions, which gives him a lot of depth. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can, it's easy to lose that script and he loses it often, but when it works, it really works. What was the one about fatty? I'm in love with you. Fatty. Oh, you're, oh, yeah. you're the one for me. Fatty. You're the one for me. Fatty. <laughs> Also, oh some girls God. are bigger than others. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You can't see this, but Jamie's eyes have rolled back in his head really far a couple times <laughs> describing that. Yeah, that that record, um, Your Arsenal, I think is like when kind of like his his like shittiness started to seep in. Yeah. And and I, I remember like um, someone was kind of I really did not like the last season of Curb. And like, you know, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, someone was explaining it to me. It was like, well, yeah, like if you, if the jokes aren't funny, he's just an asshole. Yeah. Right. You know? And it's like, yeah. like when Morrissey doesn't land, he does not land. Yeah. I swear, I don't, it's insane that you said that. I absolutely had this thought when we, I was thinking about doing this episode that I feel the same way about the Smiths as I do about Curb, which is that I can only watch one episode. <laughs> right, if I watch painful, more than that, yeah. right, I'm upset, I'm uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. In the same way, I can only listen to a little of the Smiths or it's a bummer. It's yeah. not fun anymore. <laughs> what was your, um, I'm curious, like what was like the first song you ever heard by them? Um, probably How Soon Is Now. Yeah, I feel yeah. like for some reason when we were like kids, like in the 90s, that was so present. Like every kind of like alternative band were doing covers of How Soon Is Now. It was in a lot of movies and TV shows. And I just remember hearing and that 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 guitar tone that opens it was sampled a lot in other songs. For a song that came out, what, at least ten years before I'm hearing it, it, it felt like a huge song in the mid nineties. Yeah. Have you I ever- used to make fun of that song. I am the sun on yeah. the air of a shyness that is criminally vulgar. <laughs> and now when I heard that when I was a teenager, I was like Get the fuck out of here. I was like, shut the fuck up, Morrissey. I really like, like that, that to my sensibilities came off as unbearably trite to me. Right. Now I love it because it's not, I see the humor in yeah, it. Right? Right. I see that yeah. he's sort of like trolling the idea of a depressed protagonist. Right. And that song's actually supposed to be kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. You know, at least to his like idea. His, like, <laughs> his idea of fun, fun yeah. is that. Yeah. <laughs> and when you're younger too, you're mostly analyzing the text, not the subtext. You yeah. know, so you're not thinking about the whole right, is this yeah. sarcastic? Who is Morrissey? What's he going for? You're just yeah, you're just listening to those words. Now <laughs> later when I heard the real tear jerkers, which is to me it's like Please, please, please let me get what I want. Asleep. Um, there is a light that never goes out. And there's like a few other ones. Now, that class of songs, like to me, I felt like these were the ultimate songs 
about the way I already felt. Yeah. And that's when that's I re- the power, that's right? when I really made the connection when you're when you're not the type that is like winning in this game in the category with love and whatever the fuck and like you see romance as as something that's like far away from you and then the simplicity of him being able to say what he says in those songs that is goat yeah that that is to me a a song please 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 let me get what i want as like two verses yeah and like barely a chorus it's barely two minutes long and this song says it all on that subject that is like to me like a definitive moment and when i got into that i learned how to play it immediately i learned the words immediately i was like this is a song for me to sing yeah yeah you know i feel the same way about asleep and that's also like such a simple message yeah you know and i'm tired i want to go to bed sing me to sleep i don't want to wake up my own anymore and in in another situation it would be so juvenile and so stupid, but the combination of Mar being able to write a musical theme that is also kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, there's sort of like, they're hitting you on some, sometimes it's like Morrissey versus Mar where like, like the music is bouncy and the lyrics are sad. And then sometimes, sometimes when they're working as a team in uh, hitting an emotion really hard, and you're like, that's Len McCartney. Yeah. Like that's that's A plus songwriting. I have to give them enormous credit for making something with so few words, so simple, not long, that is devastating. Yeah. And you want to hear it again. Right. You know? Like uh I think Bob Pollard does that a lot of yes. times too. You know, but yes. like he can he can do so much with what seems like nothing. Yeah. With one know? chord yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. Like I was remembering driving around in a car growing up listening to louder than bombs and uh uh heaven knows i'm miserable now came on and talking to my friend greg in that line like uh i was looking for a job but then i found a job heaven knows i'm miserable now and uh, my friend greg just did not get it like like, <laughs> like just being like and like i totally uh, it's totally cool not to get it but he was just like wait he was he was sad he didn't have a job and then he got one and like now he's sad but that's the thing like it's like it's such a genius lyric now like no that's about a brilliant it, line yeah. because it because he's always sad it, no but to me that song kind of or that line specific i love that song but i really love that line i'm glad you brought that up because that it's like what i was saying is like that describes depression on an adult level it's that you're told to do this thing and then you do it and you find that there's nothing there yeah. and that you're still sad. You're given a direction and you, you follow the direction because you don't really know what to do. And it, and, and there's nothing at the end of it and you're, you're still miserable. And that's such a, that's like a harsh thing that like brings you from childhood to an adulthood is realizing that, there is sort of dead ends all around you that you're going to face as you grow up that like, you know, you're going to doors are going to close and you're going to, you realize that you have to find something else for yourself. You have to find a passion outside of the regular. And that's a lot of the themes in the working class British music is like, 
you're given a direction. This is like as the, the cat, the, you know, the um the class system in England is different than the United States. Right. United States, like American music, is all about opportunity, the promised land, like Bruce Springsteen describes. You know, there's no promised land. Yeah. For for this and that is so relatable because I think anyone can relate to that. It's like, oh, it's I was supposed to be great when I grew up and it sucks. Isn't it funny you know? like how much Bruce and Morrissey have in common? They have like a lot like if, in if common, you read yeah. both of their books, like at least the beginning of both of their books are pretty similar. Like it's like kind of this destitute environment. Mm-hmm. But like, um, they didn't want anyone to tell them what to do. They didn't want anyone to impose anything on them. Yeah, yeah. And what you're yeah. describing, Jamie, they're both coming to the same conclusion of this is really how life is. It's just that in England, it's said outright, and in America, it's a lie. Yeah, you're told yeah, yeah. one thing, and it's actually the other. Thing. Right, and there's that line, and I know it's over, where he says like it takes guts to be gentle and kind, over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, he's presenting the listener with like, hey, like this world is evil. It's on you now to like be brave and be a good person, even though it's so easy to be a bad person and so easy to like, you know, just be crushed by your surroundings. Like I, I think, I think he kind of vocalized that better than any songwriter at that time. I think the more I think about this, the more I think about uh, him as being sort of uh, an unlikely candidate for maybe one of the most influential lyricists into our generation, to without the 90s doubt. and the aughts. Yeah, without a doubt. And I'm thinking about, the, even though I didn't like the Smiths per se, I'm thinking about the music that I, the angsty music that I did like when I was this age that we're talking, you know, especially like the high school age. Because Aggr- I, I think what I liked was something a little more aggressive. I liked emo music. If right. I was listening to something like Saves the Day or The Get Up Kids, there's a definite line from Morrissey to those lyrics. And if I'm looking for something more kind of beautiful and sweet, whereas the Smiths are kind of in between those two worlds of like punkish rock and something a little tender. If I'm looking for that tenderness, I loved Elliot Smith. And yeah, it's like, yeah. there's also this, this uh, sort of more acoustic singer songwritery um, element that became really influenced as well by that same yeah, music. Being an Elliot Smith fan and like discovering the Smiths was like a perfect storm for me. Well, in the indie rock boom that happened in the two thousands, which we were all like absorbing a lot of music, the protagonist that was prevalent was a very Morrissey influenced protagonist. Mm-hmm. Someone like Connor Oberst or cat power mm-hmm. or, um, Isaac Brock from modest mouth. Mm-hmm. We were just talking about this. Mm-hmm. The the that subverted idea of of the rock protagonist as like being like someone more poetic, someone more vulnerable, dark humor, um, you know, like um, self deprecating humor, uh, putting yourself, examining yourself in a certain in a certain way where you're like willing to be pathetic and sympathetic. Right. You know, that was a big, because I honestly like the Smiths are kind of at the core of the contemporary hipster and indie person, uh, much like REM, the American equivalent. Though I think that REM are uh, probably just lighter in general. Yeah. You know, they're just like a little more like happy go lucky. Yeah. I think. They, they don't have like the emotional weight that the Smiths have. Yeah. I, I very rarely hear an uh, REM song that devastates me. Right. They more play, <laughs> they more play the middle emotion where like they're not rocking super hard, but they're not so sad that you got to go cry. Yeah, yeah. Whereas like, yeah, like the Smiths are more like an extreme 
kind of thing. But I think that when the sort of indie culture, like sort of like the the fat rose to the top or whatever in the two thousands, I mean, you then you can really see like, oh, this is one of the most influential bands of all time. And it's funny too because I've always thought this is ridiculous. Like like um, British music magazines, like they're just so. Uh, preferential towards British music where they'll be like best albums ever. It'll be like the queen is dead park life. <laughs> right. What's the story? Morning glory, modern class, you know? And yeah. it's all that stuff. So it was always like, wait, I was like, this isn't, I'm like Q magazine. like, this is a really incorrect right. yeah. view. Yeah. But looking at over time, it's like, they are so pervasive on what would happen as the culture developed. Right. We, you know, we, for better or worse, in a way, I got really tired of these type of singers. I don't want to listen to them anymore. Like, I don't really want to listen to um, this, like, self, like the self-deprecating, like, male who thinks they're really deep. And, like, you know what I mean? Like, I liked it when I was a kid. Like, I, you know, it was like when I got into Smiths, I, like, it worked for me or whatever. But, like, there's something about these guys where I'm, like, you know, like, it's so like someone like Connor Oberst. I'm like, I personally can't listen to anyone like this anymore. Like, I can't, I can't listen to someone so it's so self-involved to me. When there's a really thin line, it's like when you're able to make a very relatable circus of your own emotions and your own life. Like that can be just tremendous music. Yeah. But now here's you know. what's interesting to what you're saying is that maybe there was a time and place for that. Maybe you don't want to listen to it anymore. And now, present day, that is now being absorbed and put back out there in radically different ways. We talked about it when we talked about Drake. You have a lot of people in, in different genres entirely that you definitely feel like carry that torch. Someone like Frank Ocean is so similar to a Morrissey. Mm. There's a huge influence there. But you'd never say that there's a Frank Ocean song that like sounds like a Smith song. So it's interesting. I think that... That influence runs so, so deep now in today's, in the most mainstream music that's popular now that is selling hugely. The the absolute best-selling young band right now is has a lead singer who is basically doing a Morrissey impression. Yeah, 1975. Yeah, we were, we were just talking about them. Yeah, and... We we and Jamie and I were actually talking about this. Like I think they're like the closest equivalent to like what young kids have as being like a Smiths. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And again, with the fandom too, which do is they interesting. sound like the Smiths? No, I've never heard them. Not they, particularly. They kind of sound like they actually came out with a song that's like straight up noise rock recently. Mm-hmm. But like, um, they they kind of sound like um, they kind of sound like in excess yes. and like much and more like, like and like the Blue Nile and and okay. a little bit. A little bit of like prefab sprout, sprout. Yeah, like really. Yeah. That's yeah. what they sound like. But yeah. the lyric, the the lyrics, and the sort of that that pairing together of something jangly and poppy with something, um, you know, confessional and sad, that's definitely there. And also his persona is very much. Uh, Morrissey plus Michael Hutchins equals this guy. Yeah, I mean, totally. we, we, I mean, they're not as good as right. like any of those influences, <laughs> right. no. but like it's but there. You see it. It's, it's like an emo-ish version of and, like all and that. And what what it's taken on is the same too. In that when I didn't know who they were, this is way back when their first album came out. We we're talking about festivals. We we're at Boston Calling. Uh, Di and I were waiting to see Spoon. There's another band finishing up. It's 1975. I did not know who they were for days after, and the guy is up there. 
doing that more. He's got the shirt unbuttoned and he's very, you know, there's an element of, you know, you can't quite tell there's some gender bending, there's some sexual fluidity. And yet you have these like 14 and 15 year old girls who are screaming as though it's Beatlemania. They are in love with him in that same way that Morrissey inspired that devotion in a, you know, not only as a fan, but as a sort of sexual object as well. That's like the Elvis factor, which he was very aware of, Mm -hmm. obviously, because he, you know, he does the hair and and everything. It's like that, you know, the way he moves on stage. I think he wanted to embody that sort of like gender challenging, uh, you know, like like male, I in a way he wanted to be an idol. Um, have you ever seen him live? Have you ever seen Morrissey no, live? Yeah, no, I would never. I like I can't. <laughs> I, he, I I couldn't pay money to see him. I so couldn't I, do it. So let's talk about the shittiness. Let's talk <laughs> about this. So for anyone who doesn't know, you know Morrissey has probably over the last almost ten years at this point, sort of come out with a lot of far right political ideas. He supports um, uh, Nigel Farage and his party in the UK, which is vehemently anti-Muslim, which is a bigoted group that doesn't believe that Muslims should be allowed in the UK. Uh, Morrissey, also a lot of his more controversial opinions have been around the fact that he is a vegan and very militantly so. At one point, he said that the Chinese are a subspecies of human because of the way they treat animals. So there's been this long list of just cringeworthy, terrible things that he has both said and supported. What do you, I mean, how do you square those things as a fan? So I'm going to start this by saying, I grew up a huge Ryan Adams fan. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking too. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think the difference between me turning my back on Ryan Adams now and like selling all my records, like I, you know, got rid of, you know, once like that big New York times thing came out, like I, I had to sell all my records. I just didn't like want them anymore. Haven't really, haven't listened to Ryan Adams since. I think that kind of predatory, like everyone kind of knew that was like bubbling under the surface with Ryan Adams a little bit. Like he was like a shitty person, super toxic, volatile. Um, I think the thing with Morrissey, why I can still listen to him and still consider the Smiths, one of my favorite bands. And some of, I, I kind of think like four or five of his solo records are, you know, up there too with, for me is that a, I don't think, save for some lyrics on your arsenal, the nationalist thing, like didn't really seep in like to his music. Like it's never really gone there with him. Um, he does say stuff like England for the English, (laughs) which is pretty shitty. Yeah. But I think like the veganism thing is his conviction and like his, it's probably his life's work and like, kind of like being like an animal activist at, even though it's batshit crazy and like, the things that kind of come along with it are shitty. Like, yeah, I can't really defend his politics, but like, I understand like, I guess like the animal rights stuff, but like, I can't like the whole like Brexiting and like the, the anti-immigrant, like keeping England, England white pretty much. Right. Like it's just indefensible, but, and it's also funny because even the, like that, yes, it's indefensible, but even the veganism stuff, it's so funny how a certain type of person feels like they need to take something so far, even if it's something that 
is good, if his intentions are good, what kind of person is it that takes it so far that they're able to somehow say, I'm so pro-animal that I have to be a bigot? That yeah. somehow that, yeah. that is yeah. the appropriate yeah. response? He, he never <laughs> he, he bangs the drum. Right. Like if, if he like if he has like a cause or like an emotion, like like that's his thing. Like he just puts it out into the world and like Yeah. Swing it swing and a miss. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I mean, Jamie, you said you were like, I wouldn't go see him. I'm assuming you're also referring to the fact that you don't want to give him your money. Oh, no. I, 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 yeah, I'm, I think I'm done like spending any money in his yeah. direction. I mean, the Smiths are a band that was a bunch of kids. I think that the worldview that the Smiths express is a positive one. And that was a very long time ago. I don't think that the music that means something to me i don't think that'll cease to mean something to me though it's very unfortunate but in the end you like what you like and i like 10 or 15 of those songs enough that i'll like them for the rest of my life it's a part of my musical right dna now you also yeah. talk you mentioned ryan adams and and i'm in the same boat i started getting really into ryan adams over the last few years and i haven't listened since and I think, first of all, everyone is entitled to make their own decision. I right. don't agree with the sort of, like, hive mind, like, you know, there there are bad parts of the sort of cancel culture. Right. I think everyone no, totally. should make their own decisions. And if you are totally fine with this stuff, so be it. That's your opinion. And if you're totally not fine with it and you want to completely act like this person doesn't even exist anymore, that's okay, too. It's up to everybody. And I felt the same way. I haven't listened to Ryan Adams since because it... Maybe it's because terrible actions in my mind, that's far worse than terrible opinions. You right. know, just, just saying something revolting, I don't want to reward it. I'm not going to pay money to see Morrissey. But if you actually do something, Ryan Adams maybe should be in jail. We'll see. You <laughs> yeah. know, like there's people like that. And if it reaches that level, it's like, well, if they're in jail, then maybe their music should be in jail too. Would, you, know? would you say that Morrissey is like, is like the the post punk Ted Nugent. Oh, maybe <laughs> that's I really think good. Of that. That's really good. I th I mean, a lot of people like when it comes to like politics and stuff like that. A lot of uh, people who maybe start out on the left like get older, and all of a sudden you're like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" That happens to people in regular yeah. life yeah. too. Yeah. I mean, that's the story of the fucking baby boomers. Essentially, yeah. is that we grew. You know, it's yeah. like we have a generation that started with like almost like a utopian ideal value system that just got compromised and compromised and compromised to the point where half of them are on the right. And some of them are like, you no. know, Trump people, yeah. Trump really the same people who like believed in like the dream of the sixties, mm -hmm. like our Trump people and plenty of punks you know. too. Johnny Rotten has said, some yeah, things that's that terribly are Johnny Rotten. I mean, Maureen Tucker from the velvet underground. I mean, the thing yeah. that we, you forget is sometimes like, if you're extreme, if you're an extreme person, if you're a radical, it's a thin line before you go from one side all the way back around to the yeah. other side. Yeah. Hindsight's twenty twenty, But it's also interesting to think about some of the things you guys have brought up just on the surface level of the Smiths, of their music. It's describing an outsider, somebody who is feels sort of marginalized. They're a bunch of white people from a predominantly white country there there's a lot of fetishizing of violence and of murder and of apocalypse 
on paper, this is like pretty close to some Alex Jones shit, you know? And I'm not saying that's their intention. It's not. I don't think it is. But in the same way that I don't blame Marilyn Manson for Columbine, there was that discussion there. He's an incel. Yeah, there you go. He's an <laughs> oh, yeah, incel. There you go. Yeah. No, yeah, he's, you know? the, he's the OG <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? Of, of the worst now, group in the world. And I don't think he would ever advocate something like that. But it's also not a far jump. Boy, because he's so extreme. It's kind of crazy, though, because like if you look at his crazy fan base in mexico mm-hmm. you know like there's like there's a band called like mexracy that's like it's like mariachi covers of of morrissey songs in spanish and like the the reason and there's a documentary about like why smith songs you know kind of resonated with people in mexico so much and it's all kind of like a romanticization of like of the working class and and you know everything we've talked about today and him taking such like a anti-immigrant stance is just such a ridiculous thing. Like having like, you know, you know, he'll like play in LA and it's, it's mostly Mexican fans. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, it, it's this huge thing. That's like a total conundrum, like in yeah. his like popularity. Yeah. It's totally at odds with that. And I think it's yeah. also at odds with what he was attempting in the first place, which is really what I'm saying that, that music, the meaning behind music it, it has very little to do with the artist's intent. It has to do with how the listener perceives it. And I think it's, you know, I, I mentioned that something terrible, you could interpret these things in a really dark, terrible way. But obviously his intent is to try to bring people out and make them feel welcome. And that is obviously an attempt to do something really good in the world and really positive for people. Now, which people? That's the tricky part. You yeah, know? right. Like, it's, it's a horrible thing to think that that's his intent. And he has the little asterisk on it of, yeah, but they can't be a certain color. You know, that's not okay. Or they can't be from certain places or speak certain languages. Maybe the thorn in his side was like immigrants the whole time. (laughs) 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 That's pretty good. Yeah. Like it's probably one of the most complicated things in my life. (laughs) Being a Morrissey, like maintaining my like, my love and admiration for those songs and, and just kind of, you know, him being such an important figure in, in both, you know, trying to be a creative person, trying to be an empathetic person, mm-hmm. trying to understand like my own emotions, like probably not many people reach the level of importance uh, Morrissey's had in my life, mm-hmm. which is, and with all this garbage, it's just, I'm so happy. I don't have a tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you can uh, check out Pat's wonderful music. It's under the name Labrador. You can check it out at labradorbk.bandcamp.com. Uh, his latest album is called A Safe Distance from a Visit. Uh, and you can read his work in Metro New York. Pat, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. This has been What is Goat. I'm John Severnapolo. I'm Jamie Fox.